Hello, welcome to Women Talk Work, a podcast that seeks to explore the diversity and complexity of Australian women's experiences of work. I'm Claire Conroy. In today's episode, I speak with Joanne Mills, a professional golfer who spent 17 years on the tour between 1993 and 2010. Jo is passionate about encouraging more women into the game and mentoring and supporting young players. She's now based at the Canberra International Golf Centre and also serves on the board of the Australian Ladies Professional Golf Association. In this chat, we talk about how Joanne got her start playing golf, what the life of a professional golfer is really like, and how Jo has transitioned to work and life after the professional tour. So thank you so much for, for chatting to me today. Um, I, I've read a little bit about you online and I understand that you, you grew up in a golfing family, is that right? Yes, that's right, yes. Yeah. So what age did you start playing golf? What was um, your first experience of golf? Well, I started playing golf when I was nine years old. Uh, my father has played since he was around about that age himself. So, you know, I guess I grew up in a country town in Coffs Harbour. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you grow up in a country town, nothing much to do but play sport. So I had my hand in a lot of different sports when I was coming up through primary school. But, uh, you know, uh, my dad used to play golf every Saturday and so I used to go out and sort of pull his bag around and caddy for him and it's kind of sparked my interest in golf mm-hmm. as a youngster. And, uh, and then the, the, the professional at the club, he would have, um, you know, clinics for all the kids and so it basically started like that. So you start off with a small little group and you sort of work your way up as you get better, as you get older and... So, you know, it just sort of, although I played other sports, but, you know, uh, at the end of the day, you know, as I was growing up and going through high school, uh, golf became sort of a little bit more important and I found that I had probably a bit more of a talent for it than yeah. some of the other sports. That's interesting to me because my father is a um, quite a keen golfer, just a recreational golfer, mm. but that absolutely turned me off the idea of <laughs> golf in its, <laughs> in its entirety. Um, yeah. so, so at what point... Um, Kind of as you're moving through um, high school, did you think, oh, like maybe this is something that I could I could do or really get serious about? Mm. Well, I was actually quite a decent tennis player as well, oh, right. and you know they're both very individual sports. Yep. And the good thing about both of those sports is it's up to you. You don't have to rely on a team to participate in the sport. And when I thought about you know being a professional tennis player or a professional golfer, I could make money at it. You know, and it was sort mm-hmm. of like something that. I could do on my own as such, um, where you didn't have to rely on, you know, teammates and and that sort of stuff. And it's a lot harder because then you have to go through selections to get into teams and you're playing other sports. And not many other team sports and women's women's sport Mm. do you get paid for it. No. no. So tennis and golf were probably those two main sports. And and I I just found that physically tennis was a lot more exhausting. Sure. (laughs) Had a shorter career span. Yep. Because, you know, pretty much once you hit your 34, 35 mark, you're old as a tennis player, you're done. Right. You know, where golf you can go a lot longer. Mm -hmm. And so I felt my career span in golf was a little bit more advantageous because it was longer lasting. So were were your parents and, like, your high school careers counsellors supportive of this as a career option or were they kind of trying to steer you to more, I guess, traditional um, employment options? Yeah, well, my my dad, um, he 
when we moved back to Sydney from Coffs Harbour when I was 14 and my dad worked in the golf industry, mm-hmm. you know, he was a club manager. And I guess he was always supportive of me more so than my mum was. My mum's a nurse, you know, mm-hmm. a bit more academic and, you know, she wanted me to get a real a real job. Yeah. Um, but my dad was probably a lot more supportive in that role. Um, mm-hmm. My mum just felt it was a bit more of a hobby. Yeah. And um, But my, my dad sort of, you know, really sort of, he didn't push me but, you know, he, he sort of encouraged me to follow my dreams as such and yeah. that's what I did. Yeah, great. And um, so were you were you considering other options or, uh, you know, did you, did you think about, you know, university or TAFE or getting a job somewhere? Yeah, I, well, obviously going through high school I did yeah. play various other sports, yeah. cricket, um, tennis, uh, softball, volleyball. Mm-hmm. I was pretty much a jack of all sports mm-hmm. and my PE master loved me because I would just play in any team whatsoever. Yeah. So any day off school was a great day, great mm. day really. Um, so I really wanted to be a PE teacher. Okay. And uh, because I, and I loved, you know, encouraging other, because I was fairly decent at all those sports and went, played some of them at a representative level. Yep. And um, so I just sort of felt like, you know, I was good at all sports, so I PE teaching was a good option. And I, I wanted to pass that knowledge that I had gotten, the skills that I had gained over mm-hmm. those years that I could do to other to kids and mm-hmm. stuff. So I felt like I wanted to go back after high school. Mm-hmm. But back in the night in the sort of late eighties, every man his dog wanted to be a PE teacher. Oh right. <laughs> so the um the, the marks you needed in your HSC were quite high. Yeah, right. And academically I was fine academically, but just would never have got the marks to, okay. to get into that. And so I thought, oh well I'll take a year off, play golf after high school and uh, then go back and do PE teaching at a later date. Yep. Well that never <laughs> That never happened. <laughs> right. So um, I wanted to ask you about like, what's the process for turning pro and what do you actually have to, to do? Who, who decides and, yeah. You just have to attain a certain uh, level of standards. So you have to have a handicap of um, scratch or better, what, which is zero. Okay. <laughs> of zero or better. Yeah. Um, I think it's down, actually, we've put it up to about one or two at the moment mm-hmm. now, but uh, it's usually, well, when I turned pro in 1993, um, it was a zero handicap okay. um, you had to have. I was on less than that. I was on plus two, I think, at the time. Okay. But... Um, so you just have to then just apply to our um, national body, which is the um, Australian Ladies Professional Golf um, Tour, and basically fill out an application form, it gets accepted by the board, and then you pay your membership fee and you're off. So how old were you when you... Uh, uh, I was 23 pro? when 23. I turned pro. So yeah. between leaving high school and turning pro, you'd just been... What, what were you doing in, in that time? Um, I was working in a pro shop. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Actually, the first year I, after I left school, I worked um, at a golf newspaper. Okay. That was based at the New South Wales Golf Association right. uh, in Sydney. And um, so I was just doing that part-time, but I was playing golf tournaments, amateur tournaments mm. at the same time. Um, and then I um, started working at Oatlands Golf Club in the pro shop there in Sydney. And I was there for about four and a bit years. Mm-hmm. And then I decided, well, you know, I've achieved everything I could possibly achieve in amateur golf. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I decided to turn pro. Yeah, right. Mm. And so what was your, um, I guess, first pro tournament like? Oh, nerve-wracking. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. But you played heaps of kind of amateur tournaments. I played tournaments. lots of amateur tournaments. So I played some high-level amateur tournaments. And I'd actually been able to play in some professional tournaments okay. as an amateur. amateur. Right. So that was a great experience for me to decide, okay, do, am I good enough yeah. to be able to make this my job and make a living out of it? Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, back in the early 90s, there wasn't a lot of tournaments, not for a lot of money. 
Mm-hmm. So I thought, you know, obviously there's no tour here in Australia. You know, I have to go overseas basically to, right. to do my job. Um, so it was nerve-wracking. So whereabouts was it? Was it in Europe somewhere? Or? The first tournaments. Yeah. Uh, no, the first tournaments I played here were in Australia. Okay, yep. Yeah. Um, it was the Australian Ladies Masters okay. um, on the Gold Coast. Yeah. And then we had an Australian Open in Adelaide yep. in 1994. Um, but then we, we had a couple of small pro-ams as well. Um, we had a series of pro-ams on the New South Wales South Coast. And basically just played in those, played a couple of big ones, and then yeah. most, of, most of us all have to go overseas to play. Right. Through the year. So what was the, the so that first tournament you competed at in as a pro? What was the main difference, like other than just I guess the um, capability of the competitors? Mm. What about the experience was different for for you? Oh well, it was just now I'm in the big leagues, and yeah. you know, just it was, I was so nervous, you yeah. know, because you know, as an amateur, there's there's no real um, emphasis on doing well as such because you're not playing for any money. Yeah, right. This is not your job, so you just go for it. Yeah. Uh, where now when you're playing for pay, it's, it's a lot more um, pressure put on you. So you have to perform. Yeah. You can't afford to have a bad day. Yeah. Uh, otherwise it can be very costly. Yeah, right. Um, so, you know, you have to make sure that you're, you know, in the zone <laughs> all the time and it makes it difficult to play well all the time. Yeah, did that? Um, did you find that that started to affect how much you enjoyed playing the game? That pressure? No, I I've always sort of you know been a fairly calm type of person. Yeah. Um, I I always I treat golf like it's a game, not like it's my job. Yeah, right. And I think that's probably why I lasted you know playing for seventeen years on the tour um, overseas because I I didn't feel like it was the be all and end all. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't eat, sleep, drink, golf all the time. Right. You know, you have other interests. I think you have to have yeah. other interests and other parts of, you know, um, whether you, you like hang out with your friends or your family or, mm-hmm. you know, you do other activities and have other hobbies. I think mm-hmm. you need to do that and have that balance there. Mm-hmm. And um, not have your whole sense of self tied up in exactly. how you perform in That's the right. one That's right. You know, like yeah. if I had a bad day, I didn't go straight to the driving range and try to work out what went wrong. I assume that there are some players who do do that. Oh, there's lots of players who do yeah. that, yes. Yeah. And, and um, you know, I just kept my practice days for practising, you know, just trying to hone my game and make sure it was right for the time that we needed, when I needed to play. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, like I, if I had a bad day, I thought, oh, well, I've had a bad day. You know, tomorrow's hopefully not going to be like that. Yeah. Because, you know, you might you might go to the range and get it right, mm-hmm. but then the next day you go to the, to golf and it's it totally wrong again. Translate, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And I thought, oh, why bother wasting my energy for another hour and a half when I've yeah. already been out there for five hours yeah. playing and concentrating because golf's just as much mental as it is physical. Yeah. So um, I, I just feel like, oh, well, I had a bad day. Get over it. Yeah, you know, start again. Start tomorrow. again from scratch the next day. Yeah. So... You're fairly young and you're on this um, tour travelling internationally. What's kind of the, um, you know, like the structure to your to your months and years? Like how, like how many days are you, are you away from Australia for? Uh, well, when I played on the European tour, and that's mm-hmm. where I first started playing, mm-hmm. um, I was, I'd go in around about May mm-hmm. and come back around October time. Okay. So I'm away for five to six months. Yep. And early in those early years, we only had maybe... 10 to 12 tournaments mm-hmm. so you weren't playing every single week yeah uh, so there was a lot of weeks off but back in those days we used to have um 
pro-ams and corporate days mm-hmm. um, that we could play in to get paid for the day and yeah. that would sort of help supplement the, mm. the income a little bit. And the prize money levels weren't fantastically high no. compared to our uh, men counterparts yeah, who are playing for probably, you know, anywhere between five, six, seven times more money than what we were. Yeah. So it makes it hard to make ends meet. And, yeah. and I never had a sponsor. So yeah. I had to survive on the money that I won, uh, yeah. which made it very difficult to, you know, after the first couple of months, my first year, and I thought, oh, man, I can't get into a tournament. You know, what am I going to do? Yeah. Um, my money's running out. <laughs> so I don't have rich parents. So, yeah. so what I, did you do? Yeah. Um, I just had to really rely on my um, on my ability. Yeah. And, and I, unfortunately, I had a couple of really good weeks, yeah. and that just kept me going. Wow, yeah, so that's a lot of pressure. That's put a lot to, of pressure to, to on not you. kind of have that that buffer. Yeah. So I'm kind of curious to know um, when you're 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 travelling and you're on the tour, like are you are you taking care of all of like your accommodation yourself and all of the kind of logistics of being a tour? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do everything. You're yeah. basically the secretary and the travel agent all together. Right. You know, so you're always sourcing. Because obviously we know our schedule, you know, in advance Um, and I used to plan probably between four and six weeks in advance Mm -hmm. of the tournaments. Mm -hmm. So you're always searching, Mm -hmm. you know, for flights and accommodation um, in wherever we were heading to. So you had to plan sort of where you were going to leave. I had a base in England. So I had to figure out like between tournaments when I was coming back. And in those early years though we had, um, uh, you know, you didn't have the one-way flights back then. So it made it, and we didn't even have mobile phones or laptops. Yeah, right. (laughs) So So logistically, logistically, it was difficult. We did, and do your itinerary and everything. Yeah, fortunately, we had a travel agent that um, kind of travelled with the tour, that was sort of represented the tour player, the tour. So um, we were just. They would source flights and accommodation for us and we could just book it through them directly, which did save a lot of time for us. Um, But now these days when everyone's got their own computers and and, um, and the one-way flights, it's a lot easier to go from A to B to C to E instead of going up and back, up and back, up and back. You know, like we used to use, you know, one of the hotels. Uh, airports as a hub type yeah. thing and it did make it hard but logistically now it's a lot, a lot easier. easier. But it's not just a matter of rocking up and playing golf. There's actually obviously a lot more in, yeah. involved, in, in, yeah. involved in it. Yeah. And so you, you mentioned sponsorship before and um, I guess that's something else that I wanted to ask about that, that you, the financial part of, of mm. playing golf isn't just about prize money. There's also these other things that you can do. Mm. So what kind of support, if any, do did you get? to help you kind of navigate um, that financial side of it. And also just, I guess, from a financial management point of view, you get big lump sums mm. irregularly. Mm. Um, it's not like you have, you know, a 1000 bucks mm. rocking up every fortnight in your... No. That, that kind of helps with the budgeting. Yes. Um, you know, what kind of support did you get to kind of manage the business side of, of playing golf? Um, I didn't really have... I mean, my, obviously, with my dad being involved in the industry, yeah. he kind of helped me a little bit and we sort of did a little bit of planning for it. But, you know, yeah, not having a sponsor makes it very difficult. As mm. I said, you have to rely on your own ability to win money every week. And yes, you can win large sums at very quickly and then all of a sudden win nothing for the next six weeks. Yeah. So you have to, like, when you do get that big lump sum to when you have a good week is to put it aside a little bit yeah, <laughs> and, and just sort of, you know, stretch it out a little bit and, yeah. you know, and, and even invest some or put some away because yeah. you never know when you might need it. Yeah. But, you know, like my, my, my father originally, just to even get to Europe, put on a dinner 
at my golf club for me and the members all came and and chucked in money and you know and that sort of got me started that so then kick start was, so that kick started my, yeah. my trip into Europe um, which was really good yeah and I think that's probably how most players kind of start if they don't have any financial help if they yeah. don't as I said they don't have rich parents or you yeah. know sometimes it's who, it's who you know not what you know mm-hmm. and sometimes you know some members will kick in some finances just to get you kick you going to get your career off and running and mm. because it is tough yeah and my, my certainly I think the perception is that golf isn't a particularly um you know accessible financially accessible mm-hmm. um you know sport there's a kind of you know investment in terms of kind of memberships and clubs and mm-hmm. travel and stuff like that mm-hmm. Because only about six percent of players on the tour actually make a good living, right? So there's, you know, people see the the, wow. the big name players, the top ten players who are winning millions yeah. on the men's tour, but they don't forget about the other 120 guys who, you know, are not probably covering expenses. Right, so they're relying on. Although like in the men's tour, they probably are because they're playing for a lot more money. money. But certainly are. in the women's, but tour. the women's side, yeah, you know, the top ten making great money, but mm. everyone else, the other 120 players. Uh, Barely, probably, like if they make their expenses. Really, they don't. Or make it So yeah, they're relying well, on a. a no, they might have sponsors, or oh, okay. you know, who are covering their expenses. Right. But you know, if themselves in their own results from week to week may not be winning a lot of money. Gotcha. You know, sometimes the caddy can earn more money than the player does. Really? <laughs> do you pay your own caddy, or do they? Yeah. Pay? Yeah. Okay. Right, so you, like you're an employer. Yeah, you're an employee. Yeah, you're an employer Employer. as well. Yeah, like when I played on the US tour um, in America, um, Mm. uh, you know, you had to have a caddy. Yeah. You know, that was part of the conditions of playing. And, you know, so you have to pay a caddy. Yeah. You know, back in those days, back when I was playing over there 10 years ago, you know, it was sort of like the minimum fee was like $600 a week. Yeah, wow. The US dollars we had to pay our caddy. Wow. And so then plus percentages on where you finished within the tournament. Yeah. Um, if you so made money. Being a caddy can be a more financial. Sometimes safe. they would make more money yeah. than, than the player would. All <laughs> so, right. By I the time that we take our expenses out, yeah. <laughs> you know, we don't probably ever make that. Yeah, so wow. It does become quite expensive. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that aspect of, um, I guess, you know, golf is like managing staff, yeah. you know, you have got a staff yeah. member and um, I guess that's another relationship that you need to manage that that has quite a big impact on your um, performance. Mm-hmm. Can you touch a little bit on the, like the caddy golfer relationship and like I guess the, the highlights and the lowlights? Yeah, I, I think it's hard sometimes, you know, you've got to have the right personality, you yeah. know. I mean, your caddy doesn't have to necessarily be a good golfer, but, you know, if they obviously are knowledgeable in golf mm-hmm. and they you sort of, you know, strike up a good relationship with your player and caddy, mm-hmm. then, you know, and that caddy gets to know you as a player, mm-hmm. what sort of whether you like to be aggressive or, you know, at certain points within the game or whether you like to talk or you don't like to talk yeah. during the round. Um, I've had caddies which is, I've sort of almost trained myself because mm-hmm. I really had no experience. Mm-hmm. The, sort of the two caddies I had um, when I played in Europe, I trained from practically nothing, you know, yeah. which is good because I tra- taught them to do things the way I wanted things to be done, yep. which is good because – but I've had caddies who have been out there for years and, you know, caddy for top players and, and everyone does it differently. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm fairly easy on my caddy. So you are an employer. Yeah. So I tell my caddy, okay, you need to be at the golf course at a certain time, yeah. you know. But I don't want them sitting on my coattails either. I no. don't want them, you know, travelling on the 
same plane with me or staying in the same hotel or hanging around with me for dinner. Yeah. You know. You want a bit of you separation. Go, you go, yeah. go do your own thing with your own mate, with the, with the other guys, you know, and, yeah. and do that sort of thing. So there is that sort of employer-employee yeah. type relationship, but, you know, you're the boss. Yeah. And you have to say, look, you know, this is how I want it done and, and don't turn up drunk and all this sort of stuff. You yeah, know, there are all really. those sorts of things. Yeah, and I imagine that some... Um, Caddies can be quite important for that, from that, for that mental side yeah. of the golf. You know, yeah. kind of like the encouragement mm. and throughout around, and when it's not going well, yeah, yeah how do they manage? Well, that? They can certainly control you. They're certainly, if you're in a, a spot on the, in the tournament where you might be in contention for winning the event, yeah. and you know, you're, you're, you as a player, your adrenaline's pumping, and yeah. you know, you you might be excited, nervous, ang- anxious. Um, yeah. You know, you, if you've got a good caddy who knows you, they know what to say and when to say it, and how to calm you down, and how to make the right decision. Mm. You know, because sometimes as the player, you think, "Oh, yeah, um, yeah." You you have different sort of times when you know when you're going to get there and when you're mm. not. So a good a good caddy can always, you know, tell you know what the situation, you know, address the situation, and they kind of know what's going on, and yeah. they can calm you down when they when you need to be calmed down and, and psych you up when you need to be psyched up. Because they're the one person during around that like. Well, are they right want there. you to do. Well, they want yeah. you to do well because you know you do well. They make money out of it. All oh, right. Do they get a cut of? Like, well, prize they get money? a cut of prize oh, money. You right. see, so okay. the better you do, the more money they make. Okay. So yeah. you know, if you were, you know, if you, they weren't getting an extra bonus, they probably wouldn't try so hard. Yeah. But they, it's funny, you know, because there's always been the thing with players and caddies that you know, if a player plays really well when the caddies talk they say yeah we had a really good day today it's like we you're a team it's a team and and if the the players had a bad day oh man she played really Uh. badly today (laughs) (laughs) so it's amazing the like they're a fair weather friend kind of yeah exactly oh yeah it's that's 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 sort of really always difficult you know but if you've got a good caddy who Mm. you've been with all the time it's always a we yeah you know it's never she or Yeah. yeah whatever so it's it, it does, if you have a good caddy, you can make a lot of money. And I found when I, the year in 2007, I decided to have a full-time caddy okay. when I played in Europe. And it was the best thing I ever did. It was the best year I ever had on tour. In terms of your performance? In terms of my performance, oh, yeah. right. Oh, that's great. So, um, I mean, before I'd never been able to afford it because I had been playing in America for four years mm-hmm. and so I'd saved a bit of money and I thought, you know, like, I'm really going to go for it this year. And I thought, well... I'm going, to, I'm going to sacrifice it, and, and I did it, and the best thing I ever did. Oh, great. Mm, so that was a good decision, yeah. business-wise, yeah. to do that. To do that, yeah. kind of that investment. Yeah. Um, you got to spend money to make money, though, so they yeah. say. That's what they say. <laughs> um, so what's the relationship like with players on the, the tour? Do you get a lot of kind of support from other players, or is it quite, quite separate? Uh, I think you have, well, playing in Europe, mm. um, well, they're both different, playing in Europe and playing in America. Mm. Um, in Europe, I suppose where I spent most of my time, because of all the different nationalities, yep. you know, all the different nationalities will all hang around together. Mm. Um, the Aussie girls always mixed in with the with the English girls and the Scots mm. and the sure. Irish, so we always had a good time there. Mm. But you kind of have your own little niche of friends you kind mm. of, you know, tra- tend to travel with, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so they become your, sort of your really your close friends. Mm-hmm. But it's up to you. It's an individual sport. So if you want to be on your own, you can be on your own and travel by yourself all the time. Yeah. But yeah, you need to. I think you need to have that support of other players on the tour that you can hang out with for lunch, or go to dinner with, travel with. You yeah. know, be roomies and and that yeah. sort of thing. You need to have that because you can't travel with golf clubs and suitcases and yeah. you know and be do it on your own. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know? you yeah. need to have other people there with you. And I think 
not only the the golf support, but you know the off course support as well. Yeah. You know where you've got someone to talk to about you know if you're having troubles or whatever it might be. Yeah. I think you certainly need that. Aspect. People who share like the same perspective as you that yeah. they actually know what it's actually yeah, like. Yeah, exactly. To play. Yeah. So how long did you play on the tour for? Um, seventeen, almost seventeen years. Right. Mm. And I was, I think I was just reading an article online. Um, that you said that your decision to retire was largely motivated by f- the financial mm. side of mm. it. Mm. Um, so you just got to a point where it's just no longer sustainable for you to um, continue to... Well, uh, if I could have still been playing, I would have been, you know, yeah. if I had the money, yes. Um, I did get um, some injuries okay. through the 2008 season and where my shoulder, um, a lot went, my shoulder had calcification on it and I couldn't move it. Okay. So I was kind of out for a few months. And it never really came back that well through 2009. So 2009, I really struggled yeah. to play well. Mm-hmm. So if you don't play well, you don't make money. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I thought, well, I had one more year left of tournament exemption so I could get into every tournament. So I thought, oh, okay. so actually I sold my car to go back in 2010. Yeah. I thought, well, you know, I'll give it six weeks. Yeah. And if I would make any money, I'll keep going. Mm-hmm. If I don't done well I didn't so um I decided to sort of you know it was a hard decision yeah you know it would be my you know my whole career you know um for most of my adult life and you know to walk away from it was was very difficult decision yeah absolutely so it wasn't just one necessarily it was physical uh it was financial it wasn't mental because I still love playing and competing um but my body as I was getting older you know, I'm hitting 40. Mm-hmm. Well, at the time I was hitting mm-hmm. 40 and, uh, you know, my body's starting to break down yeah. and get more injuries. And I've been pretty lucky through my whole career. I really had didn't have any major injuries, apart from falling down a pile of stairs once and putting my back out. Non-golf-related injuries. <laughs> that wasn't golf-related. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, mostly I, I'd done fairly well yeah. um, through all that time, considering the stress that, you know, travelling and full-time playing puts on yeah. your body. Yeah. Um, so... I would still be going now if I could, yes. but you know, uh, I know now I've had to go on the other side of the golf course now yeah. and and go into sort of teaching the game and um, and doing more administration style. Was that all always your plan that you wanted to make like ha- still have a career in golf after you after you finished? Well, I wanted to win enough money when I was playing till I could really retire. Oh, retire. Okay, that was a great plan. <laughs> that was a great plan, right. but that didn't happen, unfortunately. Okay. So now I have to get back into the real world. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so I guess, you know, one thing you do fall back into. And when I made the decision to turn pro, it was very difficult because I thought, what experience do I have in anything? Yeah. I didn't go to university. I didn't get any. I all I've got is high school. Mm-hmm. And when I left high school, all I did was work in a golf pro shop mm-hmm. doing retail mm-hmm. and stuff. So, um, customer service so I thought oh gee what do I do now I haven't got any real qualifications or experience in anything so that was the hard thing you know when I got home I thought oh um oh well the only thing I really do is work in a pro shop Mm. yeah and possibly teach because I did have a teaching qualification Mm -hmm. which I had done long time ago so um so basically going into working in a pro shop was the, the, the stepping stone, really, mm-hmm. and that's sort of what's led me to where I am today, mm-hmm. is um, you know, teaching the game, mentoring young young players, you know, getting them through the ranks, and up, if they want to, then now turn professional and hit the pro, hit the tour, and stuff like that. I'm sort of more involved with that aspect, mm-hmm. which I really enjoy because you know I don't want young girls to make the mistakes that I made. Oh, so, what know? are some of those mistakes that you think? Well. Um, I don't know if I made too many mistakes. I probably think I had good guidance 
from my dad, you know, um, from all of his years of experience within the industry, um, that, you know, just making sure that they, you know, it's a big business now, golf. Um, there's a lot more tournaments, a lot more money, so therefore there's more travelling. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's basically advising the girls to you know, um, just sort of span it out a little bit. You don't have to do everything all at once, but you have to sort of, you know, let your body recover, you know, just sort of plan it a little bit better, you know, um, you know, I, I guess I didn't make too many mistakes, really. Mm. But, you know, I think it's you just forcing on. Experience. Yeah, I'm just more like sharing my experiences and, and just sort of how to do it and, you know, who are the best people to get involved with and, you know, make sure you, you know, you get, a, you get yourself a good caddy and, mm. you know, you have to work a good relationship up with that person. Mm. But, but caddies chop and change players all the time. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> they, they see a better opportunity and a better player, so they, they'll jump oh, ship. They but, oh, okay. So, That's sometimes tough. it can be a little bit like that. Yeah. You know, I think it's just part of passing my experiences and knowledge on to the younger girls now and help them sort of teach them how to practice, teach them how to, you know, work out where they're going to go in their career and stuff like that. Yeah. So do you see, um, would you like to see more young women choosing golf as as a kind of a sport to play in high school? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, You know, that's one thing that um, all the um, golfing bodies at the moment are pushing hard for is to get into schools, get more kids who – because it's so competitive Mm. now because there's so many sports options for kids these days and it's hard for golf because people – kids even still see golf as an old person sport. Yeah, well, something you do when you retire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, but you know, but then some kids see the you know the Tiger Woods and mm. and those sort and the Rory McIlroys and the, the, these top players and they see how much money they make and they think, oh well, you know, I want to do that. And then the parents get a bit involved sometimes and get a bit pushy. Okay. Because they want their kid to be one of the next Tiger Woods yeah. and those sorts of things. So with it being so competitive, it is hard to get into some schools. Yeah, right. And you know, the kids can't do everything. You know, I, I run junior clinics over at the golf range and, you know, we, we struggle to get kids even in to get a day where they can, where they're not doing some of their activity. Mm. So it makes it difficult to to be, get into schools. Yeah. Because you've got to have the right sort of, you know, um, principals who are sporty people and see golf maybe as an activity that the kids can do that are not too dangerous, I guess, and, yeah. you know, it's time-consuming and it's expensive. Yeah. That's yes. the only things as There's well. Some barriers. Yeah, I mean, if, if kids don't have parents or grandparents or anyone like that who play golf, it is mm. a lot harder mm. to get them involved. But um, you know, we, we we want to catch our kids who do all sports. You know, give them the option mm-hmm. of. I mean, I had the option of playing lots of different sports when I was going through primary school. Mm-hmm. You know, in high school, so I think you know, if we can if we can get more golf into schools, then that would be great. Yeah. So I guess jumping back to um, the the transition that you had from playing on the tour to, I guess, joining, I don't want to say the real world, but, you know, like I guess back to um, kind of regular going to, to work, having a job, what was that transition like? Because I imagine that the tour has a lot of structure to it and everything's defined, whereas outside you kind of need to create that structure for yourself. What were the challenges that you found in, in not playing I guess, well, obviously playing, when I was playing on the tour, I'm self-employed, so I could mm. be where I wanted to be sometimes if I don't want to go, well, I mean, you had to be at golf at a certain time and yeah. you had to be on the tee at a certain time to play, so there was some structure there, but, you know, if I didn't want to play some weeks, I didn't play. Yeah, right. You know, I could decide to take a week off and not play a tournament if I wanted to. You just can't decide to take off work if you don't want to turn up for a week, do you? <laughs> 
You have to put in for your holiday. Yeah. Now I'm see now I'm now I'm employed yes. by a you know and have a boss and you know I have to be at work at a certain time. I get to le- have to leave at a certain time. Uh, it makes it a lot it's a lot different in the structure certainly. Yeah, it's good sleeping in my own bed every night. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Compared to a different bed every week in a different city and wondering which side of the bed I've got to get up off <laughs> up yeah. this week. Yeah. And what's my room number in my hotel room? <laughs> All these challenges that you have. But, yeah. they, they are. So it is different different from when you're travelling full time mm-hmm. to, and it sounds glamorous, but it's not mm-hmm. <laughs> living in a motel room. Um, but yeah, now having the stru- well, having the different structure now, I find it sometimes a little restrictive. You know, now that I have to be at work at certain times and and that sort of stuff, and you just can't nip off and go or do a lesson if you wanted to or go and play golf if you want. It's, it's a little more difficult. And it's been a, a challenge, I guess, in the last few years. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a challenge that, you know, you have to face. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's like anyone said, oh, where would you live, you know, if you had your choice? Well, I don't know, I could pick about 20 different places. But, you know, I've been to so many different places. You know, you just to adapt to where you are. Yeah. Um, and adapt if you have to move jobs or move cities, something like that, then, you know, you just have to to do that. Mm. So what do you, um, if someone meets you for the first time, they say, what do you do for work? How do you explain what you do for work now? Um, I, I say that I work in golf retail mm-hmm. um, and do some golf coaching. Mm-hmm. Yep, so that's basically what I, it's pretty much my job title now, yeah. <laughs> really. So what does that actually kind of involve in practice? You're in the pro shop, like helping people kind of select equipment and yep. giving people advice about Yeah, yeah, started. so I work at, uh, at uh, Pete's Golf Connection at the mm-hmm. Canberra Golf Centre and I, you know, people come in and they come in for all different types of things where they want to buy a set of golf clubs. Well, we would give them a fitting, so we have to ask them certain questions um, to, so we know, because buying a set of golf clubs is just not like, buying a set of golf clubs off a rack. Yeah, there's certain different types that suit certain different people and you have to, we have to know sort of how to fit that person with that sort of, with their equipment that's going to help them perform the best. Okay. So, um, so you know, if you're looking for a present for Christmas, don't just go out and buy any clubs for, no. for, your, for your partner your yeah, kid yeah. or whatever. Right? Yeah, exactly. You have to know certain different aspects right. of what the clubs are okay. that, so that we know that we're getting from the right person. Right. You know, so um, so then knowing those sorts of things, but just general selling stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, knowing how things operate and work, and mm-hmm. and so on. So yeah, selling shoes and buggies and all different clothes, mm-hmm. all different types of stuff. So doing that, but then obviously doing coaching on my own time. Um, so I'm teaching some kids, ladies, beginners, mm-hmm. um, men. So at all different levels, ages, skill levels uh, at the moment. So. I mentor a couple of young girls at the moment. Um, they're very good golfers, mm-hmm. and um, they're, they're sort of they've got aspirations of becoming pros. So right. I'm working with them, which is good. So I can uh, one of those girls is going off to college in America next year. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, so she's doing a, a got a golf scholarship over there. So that that'll be good for her. Good so, experience. So your role is is not as their coach, but more as to kind of to support them about. Well, the... I do coach them. Oh, okay. uh, well, one of them I have I have some given some lessons to. Mm-hmm. Um, her dad's already a pro anyway, and he's taught mm-hmm. her basically everything to to today. That but... would help, I imagine, when you can get started. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So she she's already got all the great basics and grounding there anyway, yeah. and I've just sort of tweaked it a little bit here and there, yeah. um, and give her a bit more of. My knowledge of now what to expect if you want to go further in your golfing journey. Mm-hmm. Um, where the other one, she already has a coach um, in Sydney, 
um, who she's working with, which is great, but I just do more mentoring stuff, so helping her with the practice and yeah. sort of preparing her for tournaments and sort of seeing her grow that way. She's still in high school, yeah, that okay. one. So, um, so it makes it – so I don't see them a lot, but, you know, just an odd sort of text message here and there or email yeah. and occasionally see them and stuff like that at the golf club. Um, you mentioned before about golf being really quite a mental game. So what what are the characteristics that you you think that young people, particularly young women, need um, in terms of their, their mental kind of or their, their mindset to be successful in in a golf career? Well, I think any professional sports person, you have to have the right um, sort of personality. Yeah. You know, and your personality reflects, I think, in the mental your mental capacity. Mm-hmm. So if you're someone who's very nervous all the time and anxious, you know, you. you sort of probably going to struggle a little bit in this sort of arena mm-hmm. of playing professional sport in front of thousands of people. Yeah. You know, it's just like like you're playing there with your own group and, and there's no one watching. Yeah. And all of a sudden when you've got, you know, a few hundred, a few hundred people walling, watching down the fairway at you and people watching you on TV, yeah. you can't be self-conscious. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and those sorts of things. You have to be a pretty positive type person, I think, to be successful. Did that not saying you have to be arrogant, but you can be a pretty positive type person. You have to have a basically an an A level personality yeah. to play to play professional any professional sport. I think, yeah. but um, I'm sure there's people out there who are very shy, <laughs> but can still manage it. Um, but mentally, I think you know you have to be pretty strong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if if you because if you're not mentally strong, you're not going to make the right decisions. Yeah. You know, within when you're out on the course playing, you know if you. You have to be mentally tough. Be able to bounce back from yeah. the, the yeah. disappointing. Yeah, days. like if you hit, if you hit a bad shot, you know you have to be. You can't be thinking about what you've done. You can't take it back. You just have to move forward. Yeah. So you have to mentally forget the mistakes you've made, and you have to then move forward and try to do better. Yeah. And when you have the, you know, that's mental toughness. And you must see in, in junior players some people who some kids that have that and some that just, yeah. just don't. You see the kids who can just fob it off when they yeah. mess up a hole and you see the kid then they just sort of get on with it and and they don't walk with their head down and, you know, just not whacking the club on the ground. Whacking the clubs on the ground, exactly like that, yeah. yeah. But you've got to have some personality. That's just yeah. personality. And you, yeah. it's funny when you watch a lot of the, the Korean players, mm-hmm. the Korean girls, their, their facial expressions are very blank, mm. if you know what I mean. There's yeah. no real emotion that they show when they're out playing. So you would never know whether they were shooting 70 or they were shooting 100 ah, right. because you just can't tell. They just, I don't know, it might be an, an Asian culture, I yeah. don't know, but not to show any type of physical emotion and stuff yeah. like that, you know. Um, so it is hard to tell with them. But some people it's a lot more obvious. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, we also spoke a little bit about the prize money difference between men and, and women players. Um, your brother also played or does play, yeah. is that right? Yeah, he's a pro golfer as well. Golfer. He's not in the industry right now. but okay. um, So is he older or younger? He's than a couple of years younger than me. Right, mm. okay. So what were, I guess, what were your perceptions of, and, and feelings about the the difference that um, the different experience that men and women have as professional golfers. Um, well, I, I think it's I think it's just across the board with all women's sport. Mm-hmm. You know how much recognition does women's sport get in the in the headlines? It's it's Not on much. page three yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or page four. Yeah. you know of the paper, or it's the third or fourth news story down for when you're watching the sport on the TV and the news. Um, I, I, so therefore, I think because men control the media. Mm-hmm. You know, they think that 
they believe the men's sport is more interesting and that's what people want to watch, where sometimes it's not always the case. Um, um, you know, we, we our golf ratings, when our golf tournaments are on here in Australia, our ladies' ones, they get higher ratings than the men's one when they clash. Mm-hmm. And yet we don't even get the main story. Yeah. Um, I think that's just general sport across the board, Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, and, and prize money relates to that. Um, probably tennis is the only sport that is equality-based um, in the majors, mm-hmm. uh, not necessarily the general tournaments, but certainly in the majors it is equal money, but... And golf is now not even close to that. Mm. Um, I think it's like five to one yeah, as right. far as prize money is concerned. Yeah. Um, and that's just – well, I guess we've never had – golf's never had a champion like Billie Jean King was to tennis to get that equal prize money mm-hmm. and she pushed for that. And I think you know, we've never really had anyone in golf that's really pushed for that equality. Yeah. Um, I, it may come one day. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but um, – it's not going to come soon enough, <laughs> yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. Do you think it's a fairly significant barrier for young women in choosing golf as a career? Um, I don't think so. Um, you know, we, we're still playing for a lot more money now than we ever have. Yeah, sure. You know, whether you're playing on the US tour, the Japanese tour, the European mm-hmm. tour, they're playing for a lot more money than they did 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, just you just have to look at the 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 amount of girls going to the qualifying events um, to get onto the tour for the following season. Mm-hmm. This year they're just going through the qualifying stages for the US tour at the moment or the, just in the last couple of weeks. And they had over 250 players okay. playing, which is like double what it was when I went over, Right. you know, 10 years ago, mm-hmm. 12 years ago. Um, so it is significantly higher. And even on the European tour, they're having to have two and three stages of qualifying because they're having so many going. Okay. So therefore, there's, as I don't think it's, it's not slowing it's down. It's not slowing down, it's growing. Yeah. yeah. So if the numbers are doubling and tripling with the amount of girls wanting to go and get onto the tour, then it just shows you how good and popular and strong that women's golf is getting. Yeah, right. Um, as, far as, as far as prize money goes, it's chalk and cheese. Yeah, okay. Unfortunately, yeah. I um, it, I did. We did a conference earlier in the year, and um, one of the speakers we had is a. She was playing. She's just having a break this year. Um, cricket professionally, mm-hmm. and she was telling us something like, if the Australian men's cricket team took a ridiculously small pay cut, like you know, a couple of percent pay mm-hmm. cut, mm-hmm. there would be enough money to fund an entire professional, yeah. like league mm-hmm. in Australia. Mm-hmm. Women wouldn't have to have two jobs and you know, play cricket on the side. So, um. Yeah, that kind of distribution of prize money. If it was just kind of just skewed a yeah. little bit, it would yeah. make, make yeah. I guess, golf a much more um, financially viable career path for a lot of... Well, look what people. happened with the Matildas. Yes, absolutely. I mean, when they, they'd got further in the World Cup uh, than the men, than the Socceroos have ever yeah. gotten, and look at the rate of pay that they were getting. Well, it's essentially a hobby, it was dreadful. basically, yeah. Well, it's the same with most women's sports, sports. Yeah. Uh, team sports, you know, whether it be the, women's, whether it be the Southern Stars, mm-hmm. you know, who won the World Cup as well. Practically nothing compared to what the men's cricket team get. Yeah. And same with the Matildas and, and the Socceroos and, and the Hockey Roos as well. I mean, they probably don't get half as much as funding as what the men's team get. Yeah. Uh, or any of those sports. Yeah. Really. Uh, compared, there's nothing really that's the same. Yeah. Um, and golf is no different. Yeah. Um, men's golf will always get 
more funding than women's yeah. um, in professional ranks. But mm-hmm. uh, as far as the amateur ranks go, I, I still, it's a lot closer mm-hmm. because they're, they're a uh, merged identity. Okay. Golf Australia cover both men's and women's golf. Ah, okay. So in amateur golf, they get pretty much equal funding. Right. Um, so, which is really good. Yeah. But not enough funding. <laughs> so, what do you think could change the situation regarding pay equity in, or greater pay equity in, mm-hmm. in golf? Um, well, it all comes down to the sponsorship. Yeah. You know, if 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 a major sponsor wants to, you know, see the value in getting, you know the top-class players playing and they'll put more money in, mm-hmm. you know, for, for, for women. I, I guess the sponsors still have the same thing. It's, it's all TV-based yeah. and media-based. You know, we can't even get some of our ladies' pro tournaments televised, mm-hmm. which makes it hard. Mm-hmm. You know, where if you look at, um, you know, some of the TV stations pay the golf industry to, or the golf organisation to televise the event. That's what happens in America. Mm. You know, those the golf Bidding channel, the, the golf to, channel, and they they yeah. pay yeah. the tour to televise their events. You yeah. know, for for the women, we have to pay to get on TV. To get on TV. Wow! So you're essentially so, an, an advertiser. You're buying the slot. On basically, TV. Oh, basically, okay. and that's where the difference is. In the in the difference in the in men's sport and women's yeah. sport is that you know we've got to pay to get on to get yeah. even noticed. And therefore, sponsors are going to say, well, you know, we want to be involved if. You know, it's going to be on TV, but we don't want to put so much money in if we're not really going to get much televising, not much airtime. Yeah. So that makes it a lot harder for sponsors to be involved. Yeah, and uh, I think there's that controversy around um, in soccer around, um, I guess, these comments that to improve participation in women's sport, you know, we need to, like, it's all about kind of the aesthetics and using kind of sex to sell Mm. sport. Do you think there's been that pressure in in golf as well? It's like you know they want the kind of the pin up girl to to kind of be the face of women's. Yeah, we, we've had that in the past. Yeah. Um, we even did a calendar. Yeah, right. A tour here in Australia, we did a, the girls did a calendar um, several years ago, and they all got dressed up. Well, they, <laughs> they were very practically almost nothing, but um, yeah, they had to do that just so we could you know get some recognition and some and get us get some of our players out there. Yeah, and we sold the calendar and, and those sorts of things, and, and unfortunately, yeah, sex sells, and a few of the girls have sort of done some magazine shoots and uh, and that sort of stuff in. Mm. Pretty risque type things, and you know. But you know, we want to be known for our abilities, not for what sex we are and how good we look. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, for the men, they don't. That's a lot different for them. Yeah. Um, it doesn't really matter. They'll still get the money, but we have to yeah. sell ourselves sexually. Unfortunately, to kind of get any any notice, I think, from the the people who are you know control all the the money or the airtime or whatever. Yeah, that must be really frustrating. And um, and I guess that, that each individual has a different kind of tolerance or interest in in doing that. Some people might be kind of really happy and just see it as part and parcel of the job, and others might be just yeah. Not, not so keen on it. Yeah, I'm not so keen on it. Yeah. I think we should be known for our ability. Yeah. You know, with golf, you know, we still have to hit the ball uh, in the, you know, down the down the fairway and onto the green and yeah. put put the ball on the hole just as men do. How you're you know, looking how, at how is yeah, it, it is exactly. It should be done on our merits and our ability. Yeah. Um, how we perform. We, yeah, we may not hit it as far as the men. We're not mm. as powerful. That's just physical nature. Yeah. But uh, although some of the girls can hit it just as far as some of the guys mm. can. Um, but you know, we should be paid. For doing the same thing, mm. like like the tennis, you know, mm. they still have to hit the ball over the net. Yeah, 
you know, whether they play three sets or they play five sets, you know, it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. And there's so many diff- so many sports there that women and men are both playing the same, mm. just to a different degree mm-hmm. of, of um, in degree of intensity, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, the men's is always going to be a little bit more intense because they're stronger than mm-hmm. we are physically. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean they, we don't perform the skill just as well. No. So no. why should we be, you know, um, made to be paid less yeah. for, for doing the skill a little bit? Less intense, and I would think within golf, particularly when you're thinking about the entertainment value of golf, it is a yeah. it's a very skills based mm. um, game. Yeah. So there's really very little difference between watching the men's game and watching the the women's game. Mm. It's it's a game of golf, and you're watching skillful players yes. play it. So. Yes. Um, Unlike, you know, I don't know, some other things like, I don't know, like a running race or something where there, there is a kind of a clear performance difference between men and women. Um, yeah, I don't kind of quite get why there's this perception that there's greater, greater interest in the men's game. But as you said, there's, there's, from the public's perspective, yeah. the women's game seems to be as, as attractive to, to watch on TV. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I, I there's uh, the Victorian Open tournament down in Melbourne um, is actually a mixed event. Oh. They have a combined men's and women's event at the same time. The men play, they play on a 36-hole golf course. The men play one course. The ladies play on the other course. Okay. Um, and apparently, I have not played the event. It's been going for, for two years now. Um, the the women were getting more spectators than mm. the men's were. Yeah, that's interesting. So that's quite interesting to know, to see that that was the case. Yeah. I think purely because probably the... The ladies' field was probably slightly stronger mm-hmm. in quality compared mm. to what the men's were. Yeah, okay. Um, but the, I mean, the Melbourne people always go out and follow sport, doesn't matter what it is. Mm-hmm. But if they're getting more spectators and more interest, and the, the prize money was exactly the same. Mm-hmm. So the men weren't playing for any more prize money than the ladies, it was equal prize money. Mm-hmm. But it was interesting to see that the women were getting more people watching. Yeah, okay. I wasn't there, but I was just what I was told that. There seem to be more people watching the women playing than the men. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that's I mean, that's, I guess, really positive. Yeah. Positive outcome. Yeah. Um, so we might wrap up shortly, but I wanted to just finally ask, um, what advice would you give for, for young women who are considering a, a career in professional sport? I think do your homework. Um, make sure that, uh, one, uh, physically you have the ability to be able to have all the skills. And I think... Being as an amateur, get to play in some professional tournaments. And if you can play well and have some good results in those professional tournaments, then you probably got a good idea whether you'll be able to make it or not. Um, even though you might play off a very low handicap, it does around your home golf course, but that doesn't mean you're not playing your home golf course every week as a professional. You're mm-hmm. playing a different course every week. You have to face different situations. Every course looks different. Um, there's no golf courses in the world that are exactly the same. Mm-hmm. So it's not like when you play tennis and it doesn't matter where you play in the world, the tennis court still looks the same, doesn't yep. it? Yep, sure. <laughs> or a footy field still looks <laughs> the same. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you have to, I think, you know, make sure that you've got the skills, you know, the personality. Financially, you have to have the backing mm-hmm. these days because it is a lot more expensive, you know. Nothing's going down in price, everything's going up in price. Mm-hmm. You know, a hotel and a flight still costs the same. You know, whether you're a man or a woman, doesn't matter. <laughs> you still have to get there. Um, and have the support behind you as well, you know, whether it be with coaches or mentors, um, uh, physio, 
um, anything like that. Your parents, mm-hmm. you know, there's always good family support and friend support as well. Um, I think you need to have that these days. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, be prepared. Plan it. Mm-hmm. Um, make sure that, you know, you speak to people who have been there before you yeah. so they can give you some good words of advice of what to do and how to do it and, you know, how to, you know, how to get a good caddy, you know, yeah. those sorts of things, all different little the different things. All the practicality and logistics yeah. of, of travelling full-time because you are out living out of a suitcase. Yeah. And if you don't like travelling and being away from home, this is not the job for you. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's, and I've always thought of it as being like a permanent golfing holiday. Yeah. <laughs> type of thing. Yeah. But getting paid for it. So know what goes on. Knowing what's going on. Like behind the scenes. Behind the scenes. So, yeah. so know where you've got to go. Know the people who are involved uh, within the tour that you can speak to and get as much advice as you can because it's just a big business now and you just can't afford to make a mistake. Yeah. You make a mistake and you... You, you drop back down certain so many steps. Mm. Um, so be prepared and make sure that you get all the advice you possibly can. Be armed with all the information mm. that you can. And actually, as being involved with Our Ladies Tour here, I'm on the board and we have a, a great initiative going at the moment called the Next Generation Club. Okay. So basically we're trying to um, grow some young girls up into the golf ranks and get them through the ranks and basically give them all the information that they possibly and resources that they can possibly need mm-hmm. to follow a, a career in golf, mm-hmm. whether it be turning professional or going to coaching or whatever and playing on the tour. It depends on whatever pathway you want to get. But just giving those kids the information mm-hmm. that they need to see whether they can make it in this industry. So how and we the, want to keep the girls in the industry. Absolutely. You know, we don't want them to, to say, oh, this is too hard, oh, well, I'll go and try something else. But we want to keep, whether they turn pro or they don't turn pro, but we're just keeping them as elite players is good. Yeah. You know, they may not be good enough to make it playing professionally or going down a teaching path. Yeah. But, you know, we just want to give them resources to help them make that decision. And I guess even increasing the number of recreational golfers who are women then has mm-hmm. an impact. If, if, like, young girls are growing up and they're seeing their mums going out and playing golf, um, not just their dads, then it yes. then it kind of breeds that interest. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So. so if we get, you know, young girls who don't even have parents to golf, even mm-hmm. if we can get the mums even involved yeah. with, in participating with them, then it would be a great achievement for us. Mm-hmm. You know, we're trying to increase women's participation throughout the country. Um, and we need to have as many as we can. It has been declining in the past because we might get some young girls who play golf now, all of a sudden they get through school, married kids, all of a sudden now they're coming back to golf when they're 50. Yeah, okay. Okay, we've lost them for 30 years there and we really don't want to have that. Yeah. We want to keep them going all the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, so increasing, getting the kids more involved and then even keeping them as adults as well in that as well. So where can people go to find out more information about those those resources that you have available? Um, any golf club. Yeah, okay. No, yeah, most golf clubs will have a junior program where they can get the kids involved in playing golf. Um, some of the schools, um, the Jack Newton Junior Golf Foundation in New South Wales, um, they cover all the state of New South Wales. They have kids' tournaments and um, coaching facilities around the place that the, the people kids can go to mm-hmm. uh, but most golf courses and golf ranges will have um, a golf program mm-hmm. for the kids to join and even lady, ladies beginner clinics as well uh, we're doing with our tour um, uh, ladies national clinics uh, we're doing around the country mm-hmm. and 
and so we're intending to increase that next year. The amount of clinics we had, we had about, I think, 10 or 11 this year. Mm-hmm. We're going to increase that to 15, 16 next year all over the country so women can go and get a day's tuition from some of our top coaches, yes. which is really good. So because um, actually we've got more coaches than we do players okay. in our professional ranks at the moment. Oh, wow. Yeah, years ago when I first turned probably we had more players than we had coaches. Now it's the opposite way around. Okay. That now probably three quarters of our play of our membership are coaches and only about a quarter of them actually play. Okay. So, it's, um, so we've got lots of female coaches out there. Okay. So if you want to get involved in golf, just go to any of the local golf clubs or do a search on um, alpg.com.au and you'll find your closest... Um, lady pro okay. who can coach you excellent all right well thank you so much for chatting that was a really great insight into um i guess the world of professional golf and um the transition from from from, from professional golfer to to kind of life afterwards so thank yeah. you so much for sharing that welcome Blair. no problem thanks for listening if you'd like to hear more women talk work Subscribe via iTunes or stream via the website www.womentalkwork.com. If you want to receive notifications of new episodes, be sure to like the Facebook page. Thanks to YWCA Canberra for their support for the podcast through the Great Ideas Small Grants Program. See you next time. Bye.